Aloha Kako, and thank you for listening to Native Stories. We are a mobile and online archive aiming to activate and perpetuate the perspectives of those who are connected to the land. My name is Ikaika Bishop, and today, students from Kailua High School are given the opportunity to ask Anakala Kihei de Silva to share his mo'olelo and connection to the restoration of the Ulupo Heiau complex. As the students engage, they find out that the restoration of this heiau will require a lot more than just resetting stones because much of the restoration is also needed in returning the names and perceptions of this place. Let's join them at Ulupo and find out more about how the restoration continues. Yeah, you guys are fine. We're fine. Okay, go. Let's go. So I want to start with thank you so much for having us here and for coming to talk with us. Are you okay with us sharing and like using your voice for this podcast? Yeah, I am. I'm nervous about it, but (laughs) if 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 people don't talk, then nobody's going to hear it. Awesome. And we're in a battle all the time about who gets to hear the older voices. Not very often heard. So, my name's Sage Balsnach. We're here at Ulupo Heiau with Kihei De Silva to discuss the Heiau itself and his experiences as well. So, to start off, thank you so much for coming. Uh, our first question is, what or who, if anything, influenced you to be a prominent member of the restoration here at Ulupo? That's a... That's, a, <laughs> that's an answer. That's a question that I can answer in so many, so many different ways. Um, I will start, which with what is appropriate to Hawaiians explaining themselves, and that means we have to go pretty far back. On my on my mother's side, we are the keepers of a heiau on Hawaii Island that is called Haleokeave. It is now Pu'uhonua Uhonaunau, but the actual temple that my family was responsible for is Haleokeave. And on my father's side, same thing except on Oahu and his family through his mother were responsible for taking care of Kukaniloko, which is the birthing heo um, in the Wahioa Plain. So Kukaniloko essentially is a place of birth where um, Hawaiian, high-ranking Hawaiian women wanted to give birth to their children because being born at that place added to their, to their mana. And Haleokiavi on the Big Island, a place of death, where the bones of the ancestors were taken and revered. So I've got on my father's side birth, and I've got on my mother's side, um, I'm sorry, on my on my father's side birth, yeah, my mother's side death, and both heiau involved. So it 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 in some ways is is to say that I am um, a product of that of that genealogy and whatever it is that that guides us to making decisions that maybe aren't always our own decisions. Maybe it's just something that was decided for me and that I'm just smart enough to listen to and follow up on. Um, a, a shorter answer and a more recent answer is that my wife is the Kumuhula of Halamohala Ilima in Kailua. And in 1980, we decided, this was after just two years of being established as a halal, that we really wanted to 
are allowed to focus on hula, chant, oli, mo'olelo from Kailua because that need those stories weren't told and needed to be told. So we uh, made an arrangement with the YMCA to practice in that building there, and we chose the dance for Ulupo to do that year. And after practices and on weekends, we came out and started cleaning because that seemed to be the natural thing to do if you were dancing for the police and practicing right next to the place. You should also be kind of responsible for taking care of the place. So I guess those are the, the, the go way back and not go so far back answers to why I became it wasn't like I sat down one day and read an article in the paper and said, darn, I'm going to be the, you know, I'm going to go over there and, and start taking care of stuff. It was like, it just had to happen. Yeah. Like a natural responsibility. Yeah. 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 Cool. So, uh, you know, you mentioned you uh, danced or made a hula for Ulupo. So have any of the chants you've written for Kumuhala Mapona de Silva, like, refer to Ulupo as well? Yeah, the first one that we did was from the um, Pele and Hi'iaka um, cycle of episodes leading up to Hi'iaka's going to Kauai and coming back on her way um, from Hawaii Island. She stopped in Kailua, and in one of those versions of the stories, there is a very weird chant. <laughs> I look at it now and I think, boy, we had a lot of nerve to try to understand this chant and present it way back then. Because I look at it now and it's still, whole chunks of it are mysterious. And we were dancing like not exactly everything that we were dancing. We knew what we were dancing, but it was kind of all in line with why we ended up here, why we were taking care of the place and so on. And that that chant actually um, comes from a Kauai sequence of that story, but it looks back to her time at Ulupo and it connects Ulupo with Kauai. So there we were dancing that the first time that we'd ever um, done anything for Kailua. In the years since, I've written quite a few um, mele that have Ulupo um, mentioned. I just finished one about a year and a half ago, specifically for Ulupo, and I'm waiting for a friend of mine to record it. We have music for it, and I think eventually we're going to be doing it at a Merry Monarch, maybe. So it's kind of, it's more expressive of the whole sequence of activity that we've done here for the last five, ten years. It's awesome. It's the most specific of anything that I've written. Mm-hmm. It's specifically for this place. It's got Kaleo in there. It's mm-hmm. got yeah, hidden, of course, then not obvious, but it, it does have references to the people who are involved here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's totally off top, or it's still on topic. But uh, I know you mentioned the two like different sides, like the opposites of like the birth and the death. There are two cats over there, and one's like super light and one's super dark. And I don't know about you, but I'm like a huge believer in like symbols and spirits and stuff. And I just thought that was like a really that's where cool your eyes are that going over there. Through what's it's going on in the middle of this interview? <laughs> I come from a very uh, spiritual family, so like we believe that, in they, like they jump signs. Yeah. Okay. All right, I'm gonna pass this to Isabel now. 
with her questions. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm Isabel. I just have a couple of questions. Um, so I really am interested in like what the youth are doing, like for helping like this community um, and the restoration. And it seems like they play a huge part in the restoration. Um, so what are some ways that they are currently doing that? Um, there's a long history of efforts to take care of this place, starting in about 1960 when it was cleared. The parking lot was put in. The Heya was kind of cleaned up. The surrounding area made to look much like it is today and that was a city and county effort and then a parks effort parks department effort but then since since that time it's always been like two steps forward and three steps back two steps forward because when we started here in the 80s that was only 20 years after the initial cleanup the place was completely overgrown you couldn't even get down around the side you could barely walk across the top there were trees growing weeds everywhere so our initial effort was and and it took almost two years was to just clear the top Mm-hmm. so that you could see what the, the actual structure of the Heyao was. And then um, after a couple of years, we were approached by the Kailua Hawaiian Civic Club, who also wanted to um, assume a more formal caretaker role. They were going to work with the state and with the, with the Parks mm-hmm. Department to um, have authority kind of to do the cleaning. And, make. and so we handed it over to them with telling them what we knew about everything and what the protocols were that we had. And they took it over, and, and they went through the same kind of thing of activity and then lapses in membership and and in interest and then rejuvenation of interest. And, and um, in about, I would say about seven years, maybe eight years, Khalil probably gave you this in better detail than I can remember right now, but our, our organization, Hika Oleni, um, kind of dedicated to restoring places and people's relationships to those places Mm -hmm. and the stories that belong to those places, we started to become very interested here. And at that time, Kaleo was um, one of the apprentice navigators on the Hokulea. Did he tell you this story? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and he was going to lose his job, conservation job, with the army at Ka'ala. And we heard because his what his woman, his wahine, they're not married, but they're might as well be, <laughs> who has danced for us and is one of our graduate kumuhula, told us she was gonna, he was going to lose his job because they wouldn't, want, they wouldn't let him sail anymore. So we said, you know what, we're going to try and form uh, an arrangement, get money, get a grant, and get Kaleo down here working full-time, and that, and that happened. So Kaleo became the the I think the first everyday all day guy that Ulupo has ever had, and then I I think you know from his personality that he draws people in, and he's very yeah. convincing about things. So before you know we knew it, there were schools coming, there were students coming, there were colleges coming, there were kids playing in the mud, and and the and the transformation down there became mm-hmm. not just a little bit that was then overgrown and a little bit and re overgrown. It just became a, a really impressive from the foot of the Heiau all the way down to the water kind of kind of effort and it hasn't let up at all 
So, in fact, he and Maya are just so good at it and so dedicated to it that our nonprofit told them, you guys better start your own nonprofit because you are on top of the game far more than we are. We're getting old. We can barely move around. Um, you, you know best what needs to be done. So, you know, initially they were kind of what you would expect leery about jumping over the, you know, over all those hoops to get, but they are, they're a nonprofit now in December. They, um, December, January, they became Kaulua Kalana, and we handed over all duties for caretaking this place to them. So we're we're like the kupuna now. We tell them, go, go, you guys, go. But we don't have to be, you know, on top of everything anymore because it was getting harder and harder to, for that to happen. So now he's got a staff, right? And he's got just an incredible relationship with with the with the Kailua community schools in particular yeah. so i don't see a let up at all mm-hmm. as long as he can keep himself funding as long as they can get grants and money then uh they're gonna people people who who have lived in Kailua all their lives mm-hmm. will come down and 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 see this place for the first time since you know 20 years ago and they yeah. cannot believe what is now there even people who live right over here can't mm-hmm. believe the the loi that have been restored the gardens that have been restored just the whole aspect of the place is so much closer to mm-hmm. what it was before yeah. so yeah that's that's my answer about effort and 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 how it now seems like uh, it's not going to be that two forward three back it's just like forward 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 and we hope it continues with the current efforts that are being made to restore restore everything how long do you think it will take for it to be fully restored and back to what it was the the ultimate goal and we don't even know if we can do it in this generation Mm -hmm. is to restore kawainui to fish pond yeah and that's just an enormous undertaking involving people and money that yeah but when you look at what we've managed to do so far it doesn't quite seem out of the realm of possibility mm-hmm. a shorter term goal for kaleo them is to rebuild the heyo because it's tumbling down yeah. it used to have terraces it used to be very intact now mm-hmm. it's stones falling down all over the place. We don't want people on it because yeah. that uh, you know, ruins further the integrity of the structure and so on. But that is another thing that would take maybe not that much um, as much effort, mm-hmm. uh, but some real expertise. And there are people now who have restored Heyao who um, are close to Kaleo and to our family who I hope you know, maybe in the next five, ten years, will be. Maybe you see scaffolding going up on the sides of the heyao. Maybe you will see the the loose rock being brought down and stacked and rearranged, and then everything else built back up so that we have something more close to what was here uh, five hundred, seven hundred, a thousand years ago. Okay. So those are the two, you know, sh- shorter and and longer term projects. Um, but even like right now, the, the immediate projects involved, we've got um, low-E walls, mm-hmm. the terracing, that are protected by State Historical Preservation um, Department. And so we can't touch them, 
but they're falling apart and they're leaking. So the the lo'i that are that that they're holding are not functioning as well as they could be. So we need we're working on getting. Kaleo is working on getting permission from the state archaeologists yeah. to take the walls down and then rebuild them so that, again, the, the place functions. doesn't. It's not just a museum. It's an actual living um, place. That, that's one of the big projects, the maybe shorter term. And then right below the, the Heiau at the corner there at the foot of it are three springs, and those have all kind of the rocks have tumbled into the springs, and the mm-hmm. walls are compromised, and there's a lot of silt on the bottom, and that's a whole nother stonework project where you would you would clean out all the silt on the bottom rebuild the walls and kind of restore that to its there i don't think there will ever be a conclusion to Mm -hmm. to the work but um just the very fact now that if you go down and look out you can see water in in the past that was all just complete overgrown mess and now you know there's a sense of how Ulipo connects to Koinui, which which you could only yeah. imagine before not seeing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for answering my questions. Okay. Hi, my name is Tori Dejanay. I'm from Kailua. Um, I just had a few questions about um, your part in the restoration in Ulipo. Um, I saw from doing research that you went to University of Hawaii and Pomona, Mm -hmm. and I was just wondering how that education helped you in your um, restoration of Ulupo. Actually, the the best education I got was as a boy growing up in Hilo and then summers going to Honauna with my mother and visiting and staying with her sister's family there. That's where my real Hawaiian education occurred. And it wasn't like a classroom education. It was just learning to do stuff because that's what my auntie told me to do. Or if you want to eat, you like to eat luau, go down there. This is how you this is how you clean the this is how you cut the leaves, this is how you clean the leaves, this is how you cook the leaves, this is how you prepare everything. So the, that stuff I never thought was really valuable. That was just sort of what you did because that's who you were being raised by. Mm-hmm. Came here to Kailua, went to Kamehameha, which was a joke. <laughs> Sorry, Kamehameha. Uh, it, it is now a lot more of a Hawaiian school, although still falling short, I think. But back then, it was not a Hawaiian school at all. And the whole goal of the school was to produce... To produce, quote, successful Hawaiians. And success meant college degrees and jobs as bankers and lawyers and right that kind of, of western white success and i bought into it completely got into pomona college which was very hard to do and then went to pomona and had culture shock because that's when i really began to realize that i was hawaiian and that my value system really did not match where I was. And that's when I became interested. You know, six years of Kamehameha, I was never interested. But Pohono College, all alone in my dorms, not enough money to come home for Christmas or Easter, or just barely enough money to come home for the summer. I started to listen to Hawaiian music. I started to read Mo'olelo Hawaii. I started to try and teach myself Hawaiian language. And I got my my um, degree in, in English mm-hmm. from Pomona. 
And I was so good at it that I came home and went to UH and, and got my master's degree at it. At the same time, not really paying that much attention to English, but being more and more involved in in Hawaiian. Um, the benefit of the of the uh, Pomona and the UH graduate program was it taught me how to analyze English, and that transferred into how to read, research, analyze Hawaiian, and I think that gave me a a skill set that's kind of rare because I had to do all this kind of work in literature. Yeah, literary analysis, read this, analyze this, discuss this, take this apart, talk about this in terms of its structure or its symbol, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and it it actually applied to to Hawaiian chant especially. And that's, that became like my crazy focus of my life. So... Then I then I got a job teaching English at Kamehameha, <laughs> and, and I and I survived at that for quite a while. Loved my students, but but eventually left because there wasn't enough time for for all I wanted to do with research. If you are at all familiar with Hawaiian language chants, we have more than a hundred years of newspapers, all in Hawaiian language. And those newspapers are packed to the gills with stories and songs and histories and chants. And all of that is just, we barely touch the surface of what those are, what they mean, how they connect to each other. So that's, you know, if I, if I were able to, that's what I would do all day, every day without, without you know, having to, to do anything else. That's my, that's my crazy obsession. Um. This is a little um, off, like, topic from that. But um, does traditional Hawaiian knowledge of stewardship, um, do you think it speaks to solving climate harm in today's world overall? I've heard some really smart people address that question. And they say that indigenous approaches to land management, to water management, to all of that is is right in line with um, protecting the climate, protecting the environment, and abating all of the mis the mismanagement and mishandling of the of the environment. I'm not that you know well versed on those things, except when I hear those people talking, I go, yeah. You make a, that makes a lot of sense, and that fits into what I to what I know about what we do. And uh, you know, water is so important to us. Yeah, if you don't take care of the water, then you have then then you failed, and that and that just ties into to just about everything else that that there is about what, how we need to take care of our better take care of our of our world and how in Hawaiian thinking. The land is our family. The, we're all related, very intimately related. And so you cannot treat anything as a, as a commodity, as, a, as a, just a plain old resource. So we can go in and do this and extract this. It's always what is the proper way to treat this because this is your family and how do you be responsible for it so that would be my short answer for for that question okay thank you okay um hi my name is Fallon. thank you for being with us here today 
Um, I heard that you mentioned earlier that you wrote melees and everything like that. And I was wondering if you would like to share one with us specifically about Ulupo and like the process of restoring it, if you have one. You have to understand that I am absolutely not musical. (laughs) Totally. When I went to elementary school, we had an ukulele chorus, and I was so bad that I was instructed specifically in how to play play air ukulele. I could hold the ukulele, but I could not strum because it was, and I can't sing to save my life either. So when I do when I do mele, I write them with like a a song in my head, but I don't dare share that with anybody because so, I give my mele to good friends who have great ears for stuff. So this is that one that I was talking about, and I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to maybe say some of the lines to you about it and then translate it and give the story. The, the most important thing for me in, in Hawaiian writing is to get the names right and to remember what was there and what could still be there. But it's really hard when you call Ka'ohao Lanikai. It's really hard when you call um, Ka'elepulu Enchanted Lakes. It's really hard when you call all of these places, Smith's Point, right, when its name is Wailea, Flat Island when its name is Popoya, Namokulua when those, when the name, when, when, I mean, the twin islands or the mokes or whatever when it's actually Namokulua. So naming is really important to me. And this is in large part a composition about names and getting them right. So the, the first verse says, Upua'e ke aloha no kane polu, kahiaka vahiau ipua'olono, kahiaka vahiau ipua'olono. And that means my love spills over for Kanepolu. And Kanepolu is an old name for Ulupo that people don't use anymore. And I want I don't want that name to be lost. So instead of saying my love is for Ulupo, I want to say my love is for Kanepolu. People go, what? Kanepolu, where's that? Oh, that's an older name for Ulupo. And then Kayaka Vaihau Ipua Olono. A Vaihau is an agricultural hello. Heyo, I'm sorry. And the, the more common name for an agricultural heyo is a mapele. But I want to use an older name again so that people will have to go, what is that? Oh, and it's for lono because lono is the agricultural, you know, if you reduce everything to real simple, simple, lono is ag, ag god. And so this is the, the kanepolu is the place of the agricultural heyo called ulupo. And then the next verse is about the old, um, the ancestral figures, the people who were here at the 
possible time of the building of the heiau. So the next verse says, O lonoho o neva, o paumakua, o kanalua li'io kakuhiheva. So lonoho o neva and paumakua. Paumakua probably is the more familiar of those two people. He was one of the voyaging chiefs of Kailua, went all over the Pacific. And, the, and even though that was a, a thousand years ago, chants still tell of his journeys and what he found and the people he brought back and so on. But his father is Lonoho Oneva, and his father's brother, whose name escapes me right now, I'm sorry, uh, was the, the priest who, legend says, stretched out his arms to Kahiki, far distant lands, and the Menehune came on his arms. And the Menehune are the builders of the Heiau, and in particular, the builders of Ulupo. So what I'm doing is I'm naming the genealogy of those chiefs of Kailua at the time of the building of this place. Um, the third verse is, Maikuhiheva mai oe e kehoa inalai makavalu o lono kaeho. Don't be mistaken, Lono Kaeho had eight foreheads. And this is a legend about another voyaging chief named Kaulua Kalana. I think Kaleo told you about him because they named their, their nonprofit about him. Um, one of the things that he did was he voyaged, voyaged to the south and brought back the edible mud. But another thing that he did was defeat Lono Kaeho, um, this. this um, despotic ruling chief of the Kailua area who had eight foreheads and um, Kaulu slammed each of those foreheads into the ground and dispatched Lonokaeho and got rid of that of that terrible tyrannical ruler. So don't be mistaken this is the land where Kaulu defeats that kind of that despotic behavior. And then the next verse Eaho no oi e huli kalima Olima kaukahi olima paihala. Um, it's better for you to turn your hands down. Turning your hands down in Hawaiian, hulikalima ilalo, means to work. You don't get anything if you turn your if your hands are up. You got to get your hands in the mud. You got to plant the taro. You got to pull the taro. You got to prepare the taro. So if you hulikalima, you hulikalima ilalo, you're doing a valuable thing. And then the the next two lima names, lima kaukahi and lima paihala. Those are the the names of the right and left hand of kaulu. So his right hand is 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 limu lima. Lima Kaukahi and his, and his other hand is Lima Paihala. And those are the two hands that, that turn down to do the work of taking care of the land. Almost, almost done. <laughs> the next verse is about the, um, the hala tree that's down there at the very bottom. It was planted by one of the leaders of the Kailu Hawaiian Civic Club uh, after uh, the death of one of the kupuna of that, of that club. So the, the woman... Um, for whom that tree was planted is named Kavao Durant, and the verses Nahala o Kavao Kauyaloha Eleihoohie no Keaiai. So the the hala tree of Kavao is what I love. It's a lei that honors Hawahine, the guardian of of Kauainui. Um, and then the next, the last two verses call on that Hawahine, the guardian of of Kawainui, and the Ohu Laulipo Oka'aina. Eya eno oi e Hawahine ka Ohu Laulipo Oka'aina. 
Here you are, O Hawahine, in the dark-leafed adornment of the land. So the dark-leafed adornment of the land is the kalo. And when you go down there and you look out towards Kauainui, Hawahine's home, what you're looking out over now is all of Kaleo's kalo, the dark-waving leaves of our land, the adornment of our land. And then the last verse is, um, Aya o haloa lau kapalili o keola no ia, o keola no ia, o ke kia iloko. Um, here is haloa. Haloa is is the our older brother, the taro. Um, the name that we that we honor, haloa of the trembling taro leaves. And o keola no ia, o ke kia iloko. It is you are brought to life by the kia. You are brought to life by the kia iloko, and the kia iloko is the guardian of the pond, and the guardian of the pond today is Kaleohan. So this is a mele that takes us from the very oldest name that we have for the heyo, all the way forward to the current caretaker of the of the heyo and all of the. Um, the things that are that are important to us as as the the people of today who who remember those things and who want to make sure that those things aren't forgotten. Sure. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I look forward to hearing it when it comes out. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful song. Um, I just had a few more okay, questions. Okay, go, go for it. Um, I was just wondering the meaning behind um, Ulupo. The thing with Hawaiian names is that they always have so many multiple meanings. The ambiguity is built into it. It's almost it's almost like you're not supposed to have just one translation for any one thing. Um, Ulu means growth, and it also means inspiration. So, uh, and Po means night. And so, the simplest way to translate Ulu Po is night inspiration or night growth. It it says to me that this place for Hawaiians, night is where truth comes from. Maikapo, maika oyaio. Um, from the night comes truth. And night inspiration is, is this to me, it means that the, that the, that the, the truth of the past is still inspiring us at this place today. That's also another way to look at it. Ulu Uluikpo means to grow in an, in the night, and if you know the legend of the building of Ulupo, it was built by the Menehone on a single night, so it Uluikpoed. But there's all there's all other ways to look at it too. But I think the the main thing is that you understand kind of the basic meaning, and then you also have to understand that there are multiple meanings that go along with that. <laughs> and then I also was wondering. Um, what you think the purpose and the culture um, behind Ulupul um, Heiau um, has for um, the community and um, everyone else? Okay, this is my pet peeve. If you read history, Google history of Ulupul, 
you will find repeated over and over again, even on the signage there, that at one time this was a, hey, a human sacrifice, Heo uh, Aluakini, and that is the result of one archaeologist in 1933 coming here and doing a study of the place and deciding that because it was so big, it could not have been an agricultural Heo. It had to have been more important than that and he concluded that it was a Luakini Heo and that absolutely uncorroborated um, assumption on this guy's part has become the factoid that means it's taken as a fact but it's not true that has been repeated from from 1930s till today you hear tour guides you hear anybody explaining who's gone on google to learn about ulupo say yeah and at one point it was a human sacrifice hail and there's no evidence of that whatsoever and one of the most prominent archaeologists that i know today his name is hal hammett um very familiar with things in kailua told me because i said what is with all this bs about the luakini here and he said you know <laughs> that guy didn't understand that Kailua people built big. He said, if you go back in Maunawili Valley, there are taro walls that are so huge they look like heiau, but they're taro walls. If you look at Ulupo, it's this huge heiau, but its purpose is agricultural and was never anything else. It's just the size that threw this archaeologist McAllister off. So this is the heiau that overlooks the most prolific fish pond probably ever in our islands. The amount of food that was produced there was just staggering. The amount of people that it was capable of feeding. And then if you consider that along the banks of Kowainui were taro fields all the way around and all the way up into Maunawili Valley. So this, this heia was of extraordinary significance because it was responsible for all that agriculture and aquaculture. And that, to me, is the the significance of the heyo and how that significance is sort of inspiration for us today because we want to see that again. We want to be self-sustaining. We want Kailua to be the 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 refrigerator for all of the Ko'olo side. We want we want to be in full production fish and so that we don't have to depend on 95% of our of our diet coming from, you know, container loads of whatever's from wherever. So this is our this is one of several places on the perimeter of Kawainui that have enormous significance to us. And this in particular for its spiritual and agricultural significance. Um um, I think that's all the questions that I have for you today. Um, does anyone else have any questions? Um, I just wanted to thank you again for your time and for sharing with us um, your insight on Ulupo and your previous knowledge about the Hawaiian culture. Um, thank you again. And, yeah, thank you. Is there anything else? So much. Yeah, one more thing to say. Oh. The caveat. <laughs> The last people 
who could really tell stories about this place from firsthand knowledge because their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents told it to them is not my generation, and it's not my parents' generation. It's my grandparents' generation. And after my grandparents, there was that that big cut in that storytelling process we didn't hear at our at the feet of our grandparents the stories of Kawainui of Lepoaiia of Hawahine and Kahalakea of Ulupo of the springs of none of that um, was told to us in that way my generation had to learn it from reading and so when I tell stories I always make sure or try to make sure that I say that this is not something that that I was fortunate enough to learn growing up. That this is something that I've had to approach academically. I've had to find the newspaper. I've had to read this story. I've had to get my dictionary out and translate the story. And then I've had to tell the story. But the, the hope is that my generation, we've taken up the job of telling those stories to our kids and even more so to our grandkids so my granddaughter who is five years old will drive past here and go oh tell me the story again of kahinihini ula what's what what story of kahinihini ula when he took all the fish out of kawainui and she knows the story so she's you know make sure that i'm not cutting short um summarizing it too much no you forgot this part so the real restoration battle that i see ourselves in is the battle to to have our grandkids know those stories without having to approach them through newspapers and books and so on the the battle is against forget or remember and our and our job is to remember yeah that's that was my point Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um... Mahalo nui to Kihei De Silva for sharing his journey of restoration, both for the community of Kailua and our sacred spaces. We also thank the early college professor, Liza Simon, and her students from Kailua High School for the time and research they've invested to activate Indigenous perspectives. And mahalo again to our listeners for connecting with us on Facebook by searching Native Stories or through our website at www.nativestories.org for the latest and greatest activations of Indigenous perspectives. If you or your ohana has a story to share about their culture, their arts, their history, or their homeland, please contact us through Facebook and let us know what exciting perspectives you have to share. Now, before I go, go ahead and download our mobile app and listen to our podcast by searching Native Stories in the App Store. Support our nonprofit by clicking like and rating us with five stars. Become a sponsor and also donate. Your support helps us advance technology for students, publish and produce original perspectives, and empower the youth of our communities to advocate for what they believe in. And until next time, share Native Stories with your friends, family, and the entire Ahupua'a. Mahalo a Mikealo Hanui. Ahui ho.